0: Yo, this episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by Dunlop Super Bright Bass Strings. Dunlop Super Bright Bass Strings put your sound front and center with a bright yet musical top end, balanced fundamental, and a warm low end. Designed from the ground up to fit the vision of what a string should be, Super Bright Bass Strings provide a superior response that allows the natural voice of your bass to come through. Made in California at Dunlop headquarters, go to JimDunlop.com and check out Super Bright Bass Strings. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. This is the place for all of us bass freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration and have some fun and talk to some great bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul. Today we welcome Mr. Paul Turner. Paul, how are you,
1: man? I'm very well. Thank you for having me, Josh. And um, I'm glad to be included in the, in the collection of bass freaks. You, you, I think you are a bass freak, 100%. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I've, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I've been called a freak a few a few times, but a bass freak is nice. I, uh, yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like to be called a freak now and then as yeah. well. But anyway, that's another show. I'm sure, um, <laughs> dude. So you're with Jamiroquai. Mm-hmm. How long have you been
1: doing? It's been a while. Yeah, I joined at the beginning of 2005. So okay. um, that has been a while. Fifteen years. Six. Well, yeah. 15, Fifteen years, including, you know, the land that the, the, the year that time forgot kind of thing. But yeah, so since since 2005. Awesome. 00. So
0: there's something that I, I really want to uh, get your insight on because it's something that I can relate to. Mm-hmm. I know, um, like I said, you've been there for a while, but uh, you jumped into a gig that had a bass player with a pretty broad fan base. Mm-hmm. I know there, I'm sure, at least for me, there were some immediate
1: expectations. Did you feel a lot of pressure? Uh, I wouldn't say pressure, but I was certainly aware of the the uh, expectation um, from from doing that gig, you know, and, and holding the bass chair, if you like, you know, kind of saying that you, would, uh, the bassist in Jamiroquai would, uh, there's a certain degree of expectancy and, and it's a band that um, even non- um musicians are aware of you know the 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 importance of the bass in in jamiroquai so um it was exciting and it was a um it was an exciting kind of challenge to take on um i i didn't really say i i wouldn't say um i kind of felt overly pressured but you know i was aware of it okay kind of aware but kind of comfortable but knew that you know that that was i had to kind of come up and deliver
0: that's awesome. How did you approach the gig in, initially from where you were
1: coming from? Well, um, I didn't know anybody in the band at, at that time. I'd, I'd been in bands with a couple of people who'd kind of been, uh, peripheral members, you know, horn section members. I'd been in bands with, with guys who'd, who'd played sax or trumpet with, with, um, uh, previous incarnations of Jamaica Wise horn section. So, um, I kind of had a, a a little inkling of, of kind of how the band roll and I kind of just took it to to the point that from a continuation of the audition which I which I I had to do to get the gig um I say it like that because not all gigs that I've done have have required an audition most of the time it's been on a recommendation and this was still a kind of recommendation because there was a bunch of people there was there was 20 guys in total did, uh, did over uh, two days of auditioning okay that was i guess they were all came on 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 a recommendation so um i kind of rolled on from the audition experience which was very much a um a kind of a thing of being given some songs to kind of learn and then some get some songs to or, or kind of just re- a few things in the room to react to and and kind of quickly realized that it wasn't going to be a gig that was going to be um Kind of heavily orchestrated if you like you know in as much as um there been things that were expected to be um adhered to and and kind of you know strictly kind of played all of the time it's one of those things where there's uh, there's a framework and that you know obviously you've got it, the framework first and foremost being that you make it feel good and then you 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 kind of represent the lines and you represent the tune and you kind of um and you you're part of the the whole thing to make that particular moment feel right but it's definitely like that rather than it being like a situation where it's all about making it sound just like the record or just like a particular version that that Jay might have decided to do which i which has been the case on a lot of other tours that i've done over the years um and a lot of artists kind of like to work towards that you know a particular kind of style of playing a song that they've adhered to for quite a while that means something to them but um he's really about about the moment and that kind of became apparent in the in the audition so i kind of just moved on from there really because um jay and the guys in the band were very kind of uh welcoming and into things that i happen to have done at that point and then kind of happened to do from that point you know so i kind of realized quickly that it was a case of, of kind of go with how you're feeling but start to but like any situation you know read the artist read the and by that i'm, I'm referring to jay obviously read but read the the way the band is going and i had a lot of experience in doing that you know i'm used to kind of looking at a singer and being able to kind of read their body language and work out what it is they want to that's going to make them kind of feel right. And you can see that from the way somebody's standing, holding their shape, singing, whatever. But, you know, just kind of knowing how to kind of um, help uh, um, and be involved in in making it all feel right without being so focused on uh, who or how or what was played before.
0: Got you, that's uh, really, so many important points. Um, so you were kind of able to make it your own, right? To a degree, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's always that
1: with anything that I've done, I've always enjoyed kind of uh honoring to a degree what's been done before, at least being aware of it, you know. And so, if there's a if we're doing a tune, I will always make sure, um, well, I'm pretty much kind of aware of how most of, of how all of the songs go and how most of the um you know the, the versions of those songs have been done but it's just a case of kind of making it work at that particular moment because jay will always kind of have little f- things that he's feeling at that moment and things change all of the time little sections change so it's just a case of re- reacting and um and i'm kind of happier doing that anyway it feels really nice being able to kind of be in a in a situation where the the band is kind of perceived as being that tight but is actually loose <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a it's a kind of a, an interesting feeling when you're doing that in a big um pop situation or i say like, you know like a big commercial on a big commercial stage because those kind of situations usually happen in a in a more of a kind of an improvised smaller jazz gig setting um and so to be doing tunes on a stage You know with say twenty thousand people watching when you don't know how you're going to end it or you maybe never done the tune or that you maybe never played the tune with the band before that happened quite that happens it doesn't happen so much because i've played most of the tunes but but that happened a lot in the first year you know we just we just call a tune either on the way to walking towards the the gig or sometimes on the stage and and i quickly realized that you know it was all about just kind of having uh having it feel good and jay being happy and and you know what the plane would always land and everybody would get off and it would be cool and he'd usually be the one kind of saying how much fun it was even if even if i was kind of thinking oh you know well tomorrow i'll make sure i check that bit you know and he was like doesn't hey it sounded great feels good yeah and and that's kind of reassuring it's nice and and really it's you know i think it's the way that uh he remains kind of fresh and um kind of into it and excited and, and it's like that for us as well there's never any moments of kind of getting three months into a run of dates and kind of thinking you know starting to wear a little thin which i've played with lots of fantastic artists where you do kind of get to the end of a tour and you kind of almost kind of thinking well I, I, you know i could do with a bit of a break from playing these songs i never really feel that from playing the Jamiroquai set because it's just always so exciting and when it doesn't if it's not exciting he works that out anyway and, and it gets thrown up in the end. we do it some a different a totally different way
0: that's yeah i was gonna ask you about that how do you keep it fresh i know after you know like you said three month tour playing the same songs um generally the same way how are you vibing to try to keep it as cool as possible
1: that it doesn't happen that way um first and foremost so that would be the way it often happens with other artists but we generally don't work to a set list usually the set that's on the floor is the list from the show before, or if Jay has asked the tour manager to print up a show from, he might say, oh, you know, print up that show from that festival three weeks ago. What was the set list? And the tour manager will come in and then th- that'll get handed around the room, literally just before we're about to walk to the stage. And he might just go, hey, what did it start with? Oh, yeah, we're like, well, we'll do that, that, and that. And then then I'll start calling some. And so it's just, it's like that. And, and, and it will be like that because... He he wants to feel fresh. He wants to read the audience, and and kind of go with how he's feeling, and it's it's always kind of uh, re- quite reactive. In as much as there'll be moments throughout the show where Jay will turn and point at people if he hears something that he likes, or if he f- if he just wants to hear just some drums, or if he just wants to hear just bass or bass and drums, he'll kind of do it almost like it's a DJ hitting, uh, <laughs> like doing a remix. That's awesome. He'll kind of point at people and just, you know, if he hears Rob do a, a little war riff or something that he likes, he might just kind of leap over to to uh, Rob's area, point at him, and then point at a few other people to kind of stop or break down a little bit or something. And and then that might work out really cool. Everybody starts reacting to something that, that one player's doing. And, um, and then after that, we might get in the dressing room and you might say yeah that was great we'll, we'll do it like, let's do it like that tomorrow night and of course it will start off like that but but morph into something different and so things kind of just morph from one from one little kind of improvised thing to another but it's it's almost more like a a remix style of improvisation very um, cool so so he, he might hear a little thing that Derek does on the drums, or I do on the bass, or Shola does not literally like that. Or he might turn around and say at the beginning of certain songs, which may have a pati- particular um, piano intro or guitar intro, and he might just throw it in the air and say, let's start with bass from the middle eight or something like that, which would, you know, the bridge section, we'd call it the middle eight. Um, or he might say to Rob, oh, you play the, play. let's play the intro on guitar instead of piano. And he'll do that at the moment on the, on the gig, on the festival. It won't be like a pre-arranged thing, Yeah, it keeps it really exciting. And, and um,
0: Well, that's yeah.
1: keeping you on your toes, right? And, and- it is. Yeah. And because, and also that's, I think the reason why, you know, we don't have anything on track and, um, he's dead against that kind of thing. You know, he, he likes the vibe of the interaction of he's constantly, oh, it's, it's all live. Yeah. yeah, no tracks. Okay, awesome. It's the last run of shows that we did for autumn for the Automaton shows. We did have um, a guy, H- um, Howard Widder, who was um, triggering some things through Ableton, but they were more like like little loops and little kind of um, reverse vocal effects and reverse symbols and just things okay. to, to add a little bit more production. But the reason that it was done like that was because we weren't going to go down the route of doing it with track. Gotcha. So rather than have, um, you know, something that would dictate the arrangement and Jay would have to come in at a certain point, etc., etc., Um we have Howard and and Jay will turn to him just just like a musician, maybe kind of go like, cut the loop or don't bring in that or bring in, you know, or just maybe tell him to sit a song out that he would ordinarily be in. And he was on maybe half of the set, half of the songs, um, not so much on some of the older songs. But again just almost being like a like a player and being there reacting at the moment so Very so that like, it makes it all possible to run it like that and i think that's the way that uh, he's continued to be the artist that he is and can, the band's continue to have the reputation that it has
0: i think it's uh, really impressive um that he is so um, involved with that and listening and, and that forces you all I mean you all have to listen and be aware of what's
1: going on around you yeah and it's a very cool thing it is cool and he's constantly looking you know he'll be reworking harmonies and coming up with little hooks and he loves to do that he loves to come up with new little hook lines for songs that are so established you don't really go you you will hear some of the favorites and I won't say it's like a it's not like a Van Morrison gig where Van might turn around and say he's not a jukebox and refuse to play any of the hits yeah but it's um there are lots of shows where we don't play big tunes oh really uh, Okay. Yeah, we'll go months on end without playing songs that maybe are you know in the top five most recognizable jamiroquai tunes but um but there will always be a healthy amount of um fa- fan favorites and hits but they'll just get thrown around in the air and, and mixed up and and kept fresh and uh, yeah it's it's a cool thing
0: that's great, man. How do you adapt uh, what you're doing on bass to make? Because I know that you know on the records there's quite a bit of production, and yep. you know for live purposes, how do you approach adapting it
1: to make I it work? Have, I have a big pedal board. I'm constantly looking for, for different <laughs> things. What's um, your favorite? Yeah, tell me about it. What do you got on there? Well, that's a little bit of a, a, a constantly changing thing, but I will always have um, I will always have some lots of things that go out. Lots of <laughs> <laughs> do that one more time would you <laughs> well it might go out or it might go bout, or quack oh. you know i'll have ups and da- filters set up and down and and uh i have i have favorite ones that do certain thing and that do a different thing um uh phaser octave pedal um i like some fuzzes and so i'm constant and i'll and i'll I like to kind of mix and match. I don't really go so much for things like, I mean, I have got some EQ, but I, I generally use that or a or a, um, or some kind of volume thing as just a, a way to balance some different instruments. Okay. So that if I'm picking up a couple of different basses. I can kind of know that they still are represented at the right level and with a kind of a an EQ that's going to work. I don't heavily EQ my bass anyway, to be honest. Um, I try to do most of it with passive basses and kind of moving my hand around rather than having too much going on from the bass and then um I kind of like to mix up a few different things it's always for me it's always to to try and make it sound a little bit like Stevie or Greg filling on bass synth yeah man and it is to have have just that right amount of compression or something like that I'm not so much bothered about that I'd rather I generally don't want any compression and I'd rather just kind of go and try and get the tone that I think works for the house and that works for the stage. And and then if I'm going to hit an effect, it's going to be because I want it to sound super thick or washy with a phase or a flange or something like that, you know, so that it sounds noticeably affected. Okay. Um, I'd I'd rather, that's, that's usually how I kind of approach effects, but I'm, but I'm always just looking for something and lines as well, because we kind of know that Jay's always got his ears pricked up and looking for for new things that are going to kind of excite. We're always kind of constantly looking for things like that. Nobody's ever kind of feeling, um, like they better not step out. It's almost the opposite of feeling like you better come up with something (laughs) (laughs) at least, at least once on every show, you know, the challenge. Yeah,
0: that's awesome.
1: So that's a nice, that's a healthy thing because you're then kind of looking for just little things that that hopefully you're going to get a a, a favorable nod. You know, yeah, whether it's man. Jay, or just, a, just back to body language.
0: <laughs> hey, we all, yeah,
1: we all like that thing where you you know you look over at your bandmate and they give you a nice little kind of nod. Oh, of yeah, applause.
0: it's either so, the uh, nasty face, like oh god, what are you doing, or oh yeah. <laughs> um, so. I know you use a lot of filters and fuzz. I mean you're funky. You are funky. Um but is there a particular effect that inspires you to create
1: lines? Or uh, I, I I usually when I'm kind of creating lines, I'll usually just I often just hum lines and then kind of walk into wherever I'm in and then pick up the bass and plate. Okay. I tend to, I sometimes, if I've got the bass in my hands and we're in the studio or I'm in a, in it, whether it be with Jamiro Choir or on a, a, like a little kind of session or something, obviously if I've got the bass in my hands, then, then I've got to react with the bass in my hands. But I don't always kind of think of lines like that. But um, I will sometimes still imagine a certain effect. I love envelope filters. I love kind of writing or coming up with ideas with an envelope filter. And sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll kind of hear it more to have that um I love the use of an octave pedal um but I don't tend to kind of necessarily base an idea around that so much I will base how I play it around an octave pedal because obviously if you're going to play it with an octave pedal you generally will play it an octave higher and kind of make it work for for that kind of tone and maybe stick a little envelope to round the edge off and you know a little bit of fuzz to kind of or use the mxr with the fuzz already in it there's though so, you know there's lots of different ways i to love just, i love
0: like, that pedal
1: i know <laughs> that there's uh and I, and I love the mxr envelope for the quack as well yes and it's such a great vocal sound for playing like a phrase oh yeah absolutely you know, and then i tend to go more to things like the neutron for the down kind of envelope you know that kind of bow okay um which i i like for for kind of just for making it sound a little bit more subtly synthy you know a little bit more kind of stevie-esque rather than it sounding like bootsy you know with a quite obviously i know bootsy used a mutron but I, you know yeah. that kind of thing of it sounding a bit more of a of a rounded edge and a little bit less bass guitar than um sometimes you would get with, a, with the upward envelope. Um, so I kind of go for things like that. I, I really like, um, I've got different fuzzes, some gated fuzzes. I really like this fuzz by um, by Three Leaf called the Doom, which I'm really into. It's uh, It, it re- reacts really nicely to like palm muting and um and any kind of dynamic thing it's very dynamic and it and it sounds quite synthy on its own and i find that then if i put that with an envelope or something it really reacts well but you know it's cool to have these things because i think you kind of dip in and out of what you're kind of favoring and and even my pedal it's never a kind of a constant thing there's always some pedals that are loose in the trunk and we'll swap things over very cool. Carry a deep impact all of the time. You know those old. Akai- oh yeah, yeah. I used to have one of those years ago. And they're they're cool, but they you know they can go they can go uh, AWOL if they're left out in a sunny kind of <laughs> festival surrounding. You know, I've 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 had a nightmare situation with with um, an Akai deep impact and took it, ripped it off, and thought I'm never going to use it again. But I have ended up putting it back on because I find them quite an inspiring pedal, and they do their thing.
0: So, okay. So, so let's talk about that. So when you're in it, you're you're playing a gig, you're playing a gig and some gear goes down or, or, you know, the drummer turns around the beat and, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. How do you deal with that personally?
1: Well, the, the thing that I can remember happening with, um, with the Deep Impact was that we were, we were playing, uh, it was either Fuji rocks or something in a huge gig. Little gig, just a little gig. (laughs) <laughs> like a stadium gig in Japan, it wasn't just us, and it was you know it was one of those three day huge events, and we were pretty high near the top of the bill, but there was like eighty thousand people there or something, and it's televised across most of Asia, and Crazy. the first song was going to be high times, which is bump 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 and it's very you know bump bump bump, so um, I had the deep impact set up, and I'm comfortable, you know, and you kind of you got to come in strong. um but but on this particular occasion it was strong and wrong because it just didn't when those when those pedals receive a bit too much heat they ran they just kind of produce a random note that doesn't even have a pitch well it has a pitch but it wasn't necessarily pitched at a at a a tuned note in you know in, in kind of concert pitch it was the tunes in e minor and it and something like some kind of something between you know d and c sharp came out or something oh my was, goodness what um yeah what just, was the look <laughs> what so look did I, you get then oh man <laughs> nobody needs to look my head was buried in the pedal board trying to kind of see through my the sweat pouring down my eyes i just quickly hit a, a a mutron and a fuzz but it was just like rather than going bow 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 it would just and then going to different notes it was just like ball 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 oh, oh, oh. <laughs> which isn't. <laughs> oh no. That, that, that's why the pedal went in the trunk and probably How did you recover? Just... Oh, I don't know. Well, you do, you don't you? But you kind of, you're immediately kind of thinking, can I just kind of put up some disclaimer hung behind me explaining this in Japanese before we continue? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what? You just got to stand there and look like you meant to do that. And I think it was uh, quite clear on. that there
1: was a, there, it was quite clear by the fact that, um, that, you know, the, the bass tech guitar tech came legging it on the stage realizing something was wrong and you know you know there's there was enough attention to realize that that uh it wasn't it wasn't me you know yeah Uh, Yeah. but um yeah yeah, sometimes those gear malfunctions can can kind of throw you the worst one for me is is always a self-inflicted one which i do occasionally which is you know forgetting to unmute the tuner the tuner oh my gosh oh oh thank you darling Yes,
0: yeah. So, so. Sorry, cheers. I, no, hey, I got <laughs> a coffee, yeah. cheers. Bass and My, my uh, lovely roof. wife bringing me a nice beer. <laughs> 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 cheers <laughs> to that. So listen, uh, you know, there's a, there was a portion of, of a tune in, in one of the last tours that I did where it's this huge open drop D note and it's the first note of the entire show and it's a big downbeat. And I stand up there like a rock star and I slam on this drop D and nothing happens. I left the tuner on. Embarrassing yep. because I'm standing up there like I own the stage. Yep. Solo. <laughs> and nothing is going on. I'm like,
1: oh gosh. like you do the uh. I always kind of do a bit of a comedy walk when I've done something like that. Because it's, <laughs> you know, like when people kind of raise their I think of like Chuck Berry, who I know um, used to do this thing. Because I did a tour many, many about thirty years ago, where I was in this the band opening for him on a tour, and we used to see the way he used to just say to the pickup bands, um, or that he did have the same guys working with him through that tour. But they would they had only kind of met him on the sound check of the or not the sound check on the first the first gig, you know. And his and his whole thing was, when I do this, and he would stamp, you start, and when I do this again, you stop. That was the that was the rehearsal. So, you know, I kind of always imagine somebody like like Chuck Berry kind of lifting his leg and kind of doing this huge kind of action with his guitar. <laughs> and I think that of, you know, like when you kind of like you have those moments like you just mentioned, you just kind of kind of come in really strong and have this big impact that only bass can do, you know, and you kind of <laughs> do that. And then nothing happens. <laughs> the only thing you can do is to carry on walking.
0: <laughs> so you, you kind of go <laughs> For, for for everyone that can't see what just occurred, Paul just got up in his rock star stance and walked and just kept on walking. <laughs> you just have to make out
1: that it's some kind of John Cleese walk. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of keep going across the stage. But we've all done it, I'm sure. Everybody's done the old um, forget to unmute the, the pedal. But Yeah. I've also done it done it with the volume control every now and then as well. You know, yeah, it's a... It's a night. Though that one is a is a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> it's just such a simple thing, and yeah, and, you know, you you generally then you kind of. I, I would always make sure that I kind of wait another four bars or another eight bars, something that's going to make it sound intentional. Right, right, uh, right. But of course, you you know the whole time that that you're that you're doing that, and you kind of you you know that the singer and everybody else is going to be thinking, has he just forgotten to come in, <laughs> or what? You know. <laughs> And you no, to do I meant it. to do no, that, dude. I'm just trying to make it look like it's an eight-bath. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought you fresh. wanted to keep this fresh, so man. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. What kind of basses are you rocking? Uh, I know I swung my 66 uh, Jazz bass out in front of you then, um, which has always been my go-to for, um, certainly since I started doing the Jamiroquai gig, I had that bass um, before that. I bought that in New York in 20th Street Guitars and used it that night. Oh wow, the garden. So it's kind of got and it's got a little bit of it's a cool thing because um the pots, when I got home, I remember taking it all apart and kind of you know just to kind of look at things. And the pots are, are dated um the week I was born. So, so it was meant to be. It was meant to be. Um, but I still um I'm still playing my stand backs all of the time. I have two, okay. two back fives um those are beautiful basses. Yeah. incredible really really incredible I, I know that I'd, I'd done some little interviews and things over the years where I'd always said I kind of thought it was a cool little sound bite as well because I was so so sure of my feelings on it having done years of of kind of testing and kind of looking for different instruments and having some beautiful five strings you know I've had some great guitars over the years but I always felt like it was a little bit of a compromise and uh, whenever i went back to my jazz bass or my 60s p bass i kind of go no this is how notes are supposed to sound you know just that different kind of fundamental but this the, the standback seems to have that and i and i was always saying four is better than five and old is better than new end of end of story you know Th- that, for was me, the, that was that was your I, rule okay that was i knew that that was what was what worked for me that didn't mean that if i went to see you know Anthony Jackson or Richard Boner or somebody who plays a, a, a you know a, a five or six string bass, I wasn't going to be loving their sound. It was just that that was how I felt bass worked for me, and that that the the way that it resonated and the, the way that the notes worked. But um, I've kind of eaten my words since since um, getting my stem backs because I f- I now feel as comfortable, and not only that, there's certain producers who I work with who wouldn't wouldn't entertain the thought of a five string been been used on a track who now asked for me to bring my slam bass okay um so yeah it's not just me and i remember um rick pope Jamiroquai's front of house guy just saying once and i was doing a gig i kind of hadn't even started using the bass on Jamiroquai gigs but we were doing rob and i were doing a a gig with a soul singer called sean scoffrey in the uk and and rick happened to be doing the front house that night and he just said man what's that bass that's the that's the best bass sound i've ever heard and he was always the one who would kind of say nah use the jazz bass now nah, you, you know if i pick something else up and like great other great five strings that i've got that i always felt good on i thought yeah these sound great and then you pick the four string up and just go oh no you know so that it was that for me it was that compromise thing but i don't get that anymore i've got a five string with um single coils and i have a um a bass with switchable dual coils Ooh. which i kind of got so that if I did have any noise issues on a TV show or something like that, that I could have that option. And also really just to have another stand back, but something that I felt was a little different. But you know what? I can kind of get it to sound very close to the other one. I tend to play it now. I've got some great Dunlop flats on it. Um, ah, they, okay. five string flats on it sounds so good. Do you play uh, with mostly flats? No, I tend to play with old round ones. Okay. That's always been the thing that I preferred the most. Um, so i do like the sound of new strings but not as much as i like the sound of old strings <laughs> oh now i see what i've been missing but then i still love the sound of those old worn round rounds and i like the playability of them but when you just lose a little bit of that that zing and and uh you know that that other harmonic content i think it's quite nice but i've got the flats on the on the black stem back and a little bit of foam and i just use use it for a kind of a totally different sound uh, you know not just a motown Econ kind of can jameson thing mm-hmm. just got it. it's works really well on that bass and it's kind of fun to have that with a five string
0: oh nice i use the string. uh i use the uh super brights the dunlop's dunlop, dunlop super brights and oh
1: that's well that's what i have on my on all my other bases the super Brights. oh on- oh yes, awesome so, okay so on all, on everything else other then my my 63p has flats and i have a uh, tape wounds on um, a 73 mustang ah um, cool well i have i actually daryl would shoot me for this but you're not going to tell him right but um, no 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 uh he sent me some flats to put on the mustang and i haven't put them on on there yet but uh-huh. i'm looking forward to putting them on the mustang because i as much as i like the tapes they're a little bit clacky and i that's a musical term, really, isn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> there's a <laughs> lot of wah. Oh, I know what I, what I mean can. by that. Yeah, yeah, I know what I mean by that. But there's a there's there's something that I'm kind of thinking um, I might not miss with the tapes that I'm going to um, hopefully um, lose when I go on to having some flats on the Mustang. So I've got some shorter scale um, flats for the uh, Mustang bass, which are also from Dunlop. And then all the other basses that I have, I've got um, super brights. They're all super bright nickels, um, including my four string jazz bass. And my 77 actually has a set of stainless steel. Okay. Uh, on, because Mr. Miller borrowed it for a, um, a little radio session here a few years ago. And I've I just left those strings on there. Oh. Old kind of spinal tap. Oh, don't even look at it, don't touch it. Let's
0: just go ahead and throw that out there again. Mr. Miller,
1: you yeah. may know, you may be familiar. <laughs> that came through a, a mutual friend of Daryl and I's um, who who knew that Marcus needed a bass for a radio show in London, and his his bases were in in France. So, oh okay, so he used my bass. But um, so I put some some stainless steel Dunlops on for that, and they're that still is on. so
0: that is so very cool, man. And, and it's
1: and it's testament to um,
0: our community, you know, of bass players and relationships um, to be able to do that. And, and do you agree with me? Yeah,
1: yeah, totally. I don't have any, Um. Uh, yeah, why wouldn't you, you know, would be. Right. I, I'd, I'd like to think it'd probably be the same with guitarists and stuff, you know. No. <laughs> I, I you know what, <laughs> I think. You'll never touch my axe. I think drummers have this, the great kind of community, you know, that they, they, they always really kind of, it's almost like the, in, in the UK, if we talk about football, they always talk about the goalkeepers having their, it's like the goalkeepers you know kind of club yeah of you know, look yeah. after each other you know and you always see them at the end of the game they'll always kind of acknowledge each other right at the end of the game from opposing teams i kind of think drummers are a little bit like that but but i don't know whether or not they'd be into each other kind of borrowing their kit or symbols you not know cymbals. Yeah, not symbols yeah they, uh, they, they hide those know, things
0: underneath them. their
1: arms and yeah. run away as fast as they can maybe yeah. a snare drum too yeah we both noticed that and snare drums as well so I think um maybe maybe we are a little bit more um open in that regard but yeah hey i was that was a uh, a lovely thing to be able to do so that's awesome so that kind of sits there and um and it sounds sounds killer with those on but um i prefer i actually prefer the nickels up until playing the the uh, dunlop super bright nickels i'd never really gotten on with nickel strings i always liked the extra little bit of bite from the uh stainless steels that i used to get but they work for me. I really like them.
0: I like them too. Cheers to that. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> let's talk a little bit. Um, let's take the time machine and go backward a little bit. How did you start playing?
1: Um, I started playing in my early teens, um, or maybe 12, 13, when my friend uh, was given an electric guitar, and he. Uh, so we would kind of sit and try to, you know, work things out on his electric guitar and then uh fast forward you know like a year or something he started getting some lessons from a guy at the local music store um who was a little bit of a, a, a kind of local guitar hero who'd been to london because i grew up in a, a i'm from the northeast of england but i grew up in a small island called the isle of man and it was um a kind of a touristy de- destination in the in uh, the 70s and 80s in in the uk but um he had gone to the you know to the metropolis of london to try and um, make his name, fame and fortune and stuff. So everybody kind of looked looked up to up to him. And even though he'd come back, he was still you know really respected. And and uh, to get kind of guitar lessons from him was really cool. So he started teaching my friend guitar, and I started learning from what my friend was learning on guitar. And then he just said to me, you know, you should if we're gonna if you're gonna get a band together, you should play bass. And if you do, I'll play guitar. So he was basically gonna. So we had the 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 kind of a the carrot of this kind of local guitar hero saying he was getting, he would form a band with us while we were we're still at school, you know, um, if I learnt bass and Rob got his guitar playing together. So um, that's a a different Rob, a friend of mine (laughs) from, from childhood. But um, I started playing bass then. So that would be uh, 13, 14. And and I remember, you know, we, we did a gig. I think I was 14, um, And from then on, pretty much because it was a a holiday style place, I could gig all of the time. You know, I'd be in bands and gig in the winter every weekend, you know, on a Friday and a Saturday. And in the summer, easily six nights a week. Oh, wow. Easily. Because you could, and then you could do a Sunday brunch gig, go and do a real book, you know, kind of Sunday brunch jazz kind of. You know, a polite jazz gig, but you could go and do that, and you could go and do um, back a couple of cabarets, and you could go and do some rhythm and blues gigs on a um, a, a weekend, and and then I would do nightclub gigs on the on the um, usually on a Saturday and Sunday playing. I mean, we the the manager of this huge nightclub because the Isleman had this had what was deemed the biggest nightclub in Europe, like this place that held four thousand people and it had this big laser show, and we would do um, a weekly residency there with this band um i remember they were called juice very 80s name (laughs) but we used to play like uh four or five level 42 tunes and simply red tunes and just hold the notes and things that you know were kind of funky um and in the charts and current because the the manager just said you know if you can keep people on the dance floor you've got a gig and if you have if you can't you haven't you know um but that was that was a great opportunity and, and a great way to kind of just be playing all of the time. So when I moved away to become a pro player, um, which was in nineteen eighty seven, and kind of vowed to never really do anything other than music again. Um, because at that time I used to work for my dad. Um but how old were you like, at the time? I was twenty one. Okay. Yeah. So That's uh, great so I moved away then and kind of and although I was busy and I had a very I had a very dear friend who used to pass me a lot of gigs. Um, that he would end up kind of getting double booked for and he would pass me pass me the gigs. and it, So, and really varied things. So I'd get sent along to do a, a panto and a backer a comedian and through to lots, rhythm and blues gigs, loads of real book gigs, loads of, um, you know, kind of small little jazz clubs, little blues clubs, lots of things like that. And then some kind of more, um, kind of commercially successful soul and R&B gigs. And although I kind of, Hit the ground running because of his help. Um, I was still used to working a lot more because I'd always been playing. So, um, I kind of, I've just that's that's how I've that's what I've grown up doing. So, I won't say that I'm completely self taught because the guitar player taught me a lot, and um, and I've had lessons over the years with some some um respected um players, like odd lessons here and there. Um, from, uh, Joe Hubbard, an American guy who teaches in the UK and through to, um, Lawrence Cottle, um, renowned UK bassist, but they've literally been, been one-off inspirational kind of things to Mm. kind of, um, you know, and then I've taken as much from that as I can and try to kind of, you know, usually with those things, I always think you you can kind of, uh, you can take so much from, from that. From a short period and kind of run with that, you know. And so you had a lot of
0: like on-the-job training, basically just yeah. getting in there and playing. Um, what
1: about reading? And did you? Uh, well, I do read. Most of the gigs that I do don't require me to read. Um, Same I with don't... me. Do you think it's uh, an important asset for bass players to? Uh, I think it's an. Imp- I think it's an important asset to help you feel confident for situations that often don't arise. Ah oh, yeah. That's In a way well, to put it. I think I think um if you don't feel that you can you're probably sometimes going to be feeling a little bit scared of situations that might you know arise that you that that are overwhelming. Um and whilst I'm not a reader who would go and do um, a gig with a, I mean, I have played a couple of gigs with orchestras, but I, w- you know, I would have really brushed up before that. And I, but what I mean is, I, I, don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable going and sight reading on a dep, a sub. We call it depping here, but it's like a oh, sub. Okay. What? Uh, so, we call it depping. It's short for deputising.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. See, it, yeah. learning a, something new every day.
1: Look yeah. at that. There you go. I know you guys call it subbing. Yeah. So I wouldn't go and sub on a, um, I mean, even if I was to sub on, say, uh, a West End show, which would be like your um, Broadway shows, uh-huh. I would f- I would be feeling the pressure. If I'm honest, I would feel like I need to kind of brush up. But I've done gigs like um, we had a, a, there's a TV show here called The Voice, which is like um, American Idol or something like that.
0: Yeah, we had The Voice here as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. So and I've been in the house band for that um I did series 2 and and at that time it was a a reading gig and you know you kind of um you'd have an iPad and they would refresh the um the drop they you'd arrive for the for the re- recording and rehearsal and stuff and they'd just say refresh your dropbox and they'd ping in a load of tunes and the trickiest thing with that was that quite often things have been arranged in with such an edit because you're looking at 90 seconds of music that yeah. you know you're playing songs that you kind of you might instantly recognise, although they're often in different arrangements because you've got an arranger kind of working on Sibelius live behind the band, kind of changing things up while they decide how the tune's going to end up. You go through a few little stylistic changes and stuff like that. The trickiest thing was kind of playing like three bar intros when you know that you know yeah. really the <laughs> tune should have a sixteen bar intro. You know, right. or something that at least feels like it's a a nice rounded kind of feel good number um you know one bar pre-chorus instead of three or four and all that kind of stuff you know it starts to sound like a jingle uh, you know yeah two you know bars are six four because they just think oh where can we save some time where can we cut some time so that's that was always the, the the kind of trickiest thing that you're reading but um but with those things you know you're kind of reading contemporary tunes so they yeah i think um I feel comfortable in that position. And and I also, most of the time when I um, I write, I tend to write charts out for my own notes. If I'm going and doing a gig, I haven't got any Jim Urquay charts. I never write a chart out for that gig because it just wouldn't make sense. But I've got charts for Annie Lennox's gig, which I haven't done. Um, I did her last um, big tour, but that was in 2008. Um, and I, but I have, charts from, from playing with her in 2003.
0: She blows me away, by the way. I, I once saw her at the, um, at an awards show and, you know, there were all these huge productions of different artists playing, um, beforehand. And she gets up there just at her piano and she commanded attention for this entire room of rock stars and artists and record people and whoever else. and, it was so powerful. She did one tune and I couldn't believe I, it. I was in awe.
1: Yeah, I totally get that. Because, um, yeah, she blew, I think she blows everybody away whenever they, they're in the room with a performance by her. And even just to hear it, she's an incredible person. Really, really, you know, an incredibly sincere person. and And her performances are sincere and heartfelt all of the time. And I mean, rehearsals and sound checks. The band and her will be sweating and dripping, and it's a performance. Everything is a performance. Wow!
0: wow. I don't How does that mean, as
1: in an insincere performance. I mean, it is heartfelt to the degree of it being that way.
0: And does it is it um,
1: planned that way, or is it just turn out that way? It just can't be any other way, right? That's, that's how she sings a song that's so that's, that's how beautiful she goes into any any particular moment and you know i did the first tour that she felt comfort confident enough to play piano on and um and i can remember you know uh, um uh, kind of uh, charming insecurity of playing but but you still kind of realize it was still just so awesome you know because she can accompany herself on the piano. I, more than adequately but it's just the emotion with which she puts all of these things over and great songs and amazing voice and you know and she'd be kind of saying oh i'm so oh, i need to practice you know, <laughs> and, but but yeah she's an incredible form but i have charts that i because i you know if i'm if i'm learning a set i will generally chart things out especially if it's somebody who i think well i'm looking forward to playing these tunes with them but i don't know when i'll play them again um, maybe you know, and then you get the call two years later so it's handy to go and grab the grab the file and, and and have all those charts like that and kind of be able to know what we did and what the record did and stuff like. That. so I will I will notate those things. I'll write full charts for things like that and I'll I'll kind of think that I think that's that's a really good way a bit like you know um, writing lines when you're at school if you've done something wrong you know <laughs> head, standards it? Yeah. yeah it goes in your head. so I think um, I think half the time just writing something out, it it helps you memorize it but um i do i kind of use reading or being able to write charts more for that than i do for reading on stage okay but, um i have done done um quite a lot of gigs reading on stage but not so many in fact i i i tell the last few years i have been playing with a french production which i know lee glow was doing before me which was kind of um, lovely to realize um, and Rob Harris was doing it both with Lee uh, Rob Harris, the guitar player and Jamiroquai was doing it with Lee Sklar and, and has continued to do it with myself and, and I read on that gig because it's a it's a gig that has a string section, a lot of choral parts, and it's it's almost like a classical rock gig. Um, so I I have an iPad on that and a page, Bluetooth page turner, and I and I read that gig because it just works for that gig. Um but yeah. So that's usually, but I, but I actually feel that it's beneficial to me because I don't feel like I'll, um, kind of, you know, freak out if somebody puts a part in front of me. And I think most of the time I'm not, I'm not in that position. I, I don't get called to do those kinds of things. I get called to come up with a, an idea and play it with, with some feel. And I'm not saying I'm the only person that can do that, but I mean, yeah. is that what that, that would be why I would generally get called. Okay, that's what I usually go and do, and and you know, kind of come up with a a part and a performance that kind of feels right at that time, rather than somebody going, "Oh, this is what we want you to play."
0: Right. Okay. It
1: doesn't usually happen like that, that for me. So, understood. uh, Yeah.
0: Um. So, are there any tracks that you've done that you look back and think, like, uh, "Damn, man,
1: I killed that one," (laughs) or or any of your favorites that you've done? Well. You know, we've all got kind of like a little bit of a, um, a self-critical kind of you know thing at the back of our head that that doesn't allow us to think that confidently. Or do, certainly, I do. You know, but, but I'm kind of, um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. I, I think I think we've all got it a bit, haven't we? But um, there's there's tunes that I'm 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 kind of pr- proud to have you know been involved in, and I, I think I would probably have to say "Runaway" is one that springs to mind because. Um, it's a tune that a lot of people kind of uh play on on um you know youtube and stuff like that and and uh because i was the the bassist on that it's kind of got it's gotten uh, you know it has a nice memorable hooky bass line and i'm you know i'm not for instance for for one minute saying that uh, that it's' something that other people can't play because it's a nice catchy bass line but it, it's very playable but I like the fact that it sounded nice the bass sounded nice it's 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 nice and 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 up front in the mix and it was an a yeah a, a tune that that um, we still play quite regularly so I'd say Runaway is a is a um a tune that i'm kind of yeah i allow myself to feel good about um, uh, it's a great it's a great line and memorable. Thank you. Can you the, tell me about uh, the session? Yeah, um I used a, um, my 64P bass which I don't have anymore but it was a, a candy apple red 64P bass. So really had a really lovely neck and I kind of went off the color a little bit just because I felt that it wasn't um, my kind of thing. I like kind of I've always played white basses and I like kind of um you know blues and the things that kind of look I've had I've had pink basses and yellow basses and stuff over the years but but um, the red wait thing. Wait a second! Wait a second! Wait a second! You've had pink bases uh, and yellow bases, but the red thing is just red. too I offensive don't. for you. You know, <laughs> it, it reminded me. Um, this is this is going to sound funny because um, it reminded me of of uh, uh, the, the the Shadows, Cliff Richard and the Shadows, and and I, two years ago I played with Cliff Richard and he, you know he's a, this is a he's a legendary um, British singer. From the awesome. '60s, but he's had hits through the, you know, the the '60s, '70s, like every decade. Uh, you know, it's, it's Sir Cliff Richard, and he's a, you know, he, so he's. He's um he, he's very very known in the UK. I don't okay. think he had any any big success in in the states. Probably did in the seventies. In fact, he had a tune called "Devil Woman." She's just a devil woman. Um, ah. in the 70s, I think that was a big hit over there. But you know, this guy is a he's in his eighties, and I and I I was very honored to play with him and do some shows with him a couple of years ago. So I don't want to make it sound like I was thinking, oh God, it looks like the shadows, but they all wore the suits and did the little steps and stuff like that, and I just kind of felt, oh, it looks a bit a bit. A bit like the kind of thing my dad would you know it just so i i kind of didn't feel it at the time now i really wish i'd i'd kept it because i i'm kind of into that kind of um color a, a little bit more but um i got rid of that bass but i still kept the strings i've got the strings on it th- it came with with some old strings on i bought the bass from a friend of mine it came with old strings on it was a, a bass player called keith duffy from the from ireland he plays with a band called the cause oh, um, he i know you know he knows daryl very well and um it came with old strings. He he bought the bass a few years before, hadn't changed the strings. We didn't know what the strings were, but they were already like probably 10 years old when I got the bass. And, uh, and anyway, I still have those strings because I kind of just took them off as like lucky strings when I sold the bass and I put them on another P bass, but they're super old um, round rounds, which is quite funny because a few people think that that's flat rounds on a P bass, but it's actually just super, super old round rounds, and um i played a couple of um passes on the p bass jay said he loved the kind of sound the woody sound of the bass and i did as well it sounded great that that bass um it was recorded quite it wasn't put through an amp or a fancy preamp it went into a focus right um what was the pre well it went into a focus right pre and um and that was it and we then also did a um, a couple of passes with um, my music man Stingray, a seventy seven Stingray, just because ah. he got a bit more punch. And in the end, we favoured the character of the P bass for the for the verse because it has a lot of that, a lot of woody P bass kind of character. And then the the music man, which kind of punches through on the choruses. So we took all the choruses from the pass on the Stingray and the verses from the from the pass on the P bass, which um, which kind of works for the record. And I think it sounds sounds cool. So I, I'm I'm you know, I I like to kind of think of that as being a reference track. There's been some others. I I like um, Fast Persuader um, off the recent um, off Rock to Slight Star and off the recent album. Favorites of mine are Vitamin and Summer Girl, um, but there's you know there's I kind of I I sometimes just dig tunes just because I I like the way. The whole vibe of the band is or the whole song you know i, I don't i'm kind of i am honestly honest when i say that i'm not that bothered about getting my chops out or but at the same time i enjoy it we all like to kind of feel like we're kind of you know getting to kind of play but um i can quite happily stand and play just big fat whole notes behind a, a a singer singing a great song if it's if the if the singer's really singing a great tune and it's put over in a sincere way and the band is just being supportive and it's got a beautiful dynamic i'm i'm in my element i love that but you know sure i love to play a, a great funk riff and something with a, a bit of dexterity and you know get my thumb out occasionally of course we you know I like doing all of that as well or a pick or whatever but I kind of I like to kind of change it up what I'm saying is I, I guess that um it's not just I mean summer girl isn't a particularly um taxing or or um complicated line but i like the way it sits so i kind of you know i sometimes kind of yeah i'm yeah that sounds nice you know and i'll kind of allow myself that that kind of little you know that kind of pat on the back that's
0: great i I think um a lot of the times you know i've done sessions or or even performances where like you were just saying there's nothing necessarily um technical going on but it just feels great and the yeah. vibe is awesome and it's a memorable thing every single time yeah. it happens
1: and you know what really i think um a lot of people probably find that and i i certainly find this and i kind of i i really came to this realization that the things that are the, the, the most difficult things are the things to kind of be able to just play just what's right all the time i mean it's when i say it's difficult it's 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 easy and it should be easy but it it You should just let it come and not kind of if you're kind of having to force something then it's probably not the right thing to play and and then it's just about you know just kind of making it feel great with the right just that if there's one passing note make sure it's a great passing note you know kind of you know just play the space and make sure it fits right you know you know it's those like little details and they become more apparent don't they when there's less to play you know um some you know sometimes just like a slide up the neck to a chord to a simple chord change in a ballad in some ways can be just as tricky as playing Donna Lee you know setting it in the perfect place yeah yeah, absolutely you know it's it's no less tricky or or one one isn't any any more difficult it's just it's just a different skill set you know and that's why I love players that can do all of that you know And, and I think of you know players like he know, immediately comes to mind is somebody with just great note choice and and the ability to kind of just turn up the heat when necessary. But also, you kind of hear him play something with um, Simon and Garfunkel, and you might just, yeah. just kind of just think, "Oh man, I wonder if I were, I'd love to think that I would have done that." You know, his his melodic sensibility is incredible, as is his really? feel
0: and chops too. Top. But when yeah. I hear it, I mean, it has inspired me so much, his melodic lines, mm. you know, to, he just sings on there and Absolutely it just feels great.
1: And that to me is, is, is the thing, you know. Outside of music, what brings you joy? Um, I, yeah, I, I love, I've got uh, three sons. I, I love family time. Um, I'm a football fan, a UK football fan, um, but i support a really shit team so um <laughs> who do you yeah. support who is it i'm a Sunderland fan okay, i was born, I don't, you know hey if you watch there's a great thing on netflix called called um uh Sunderland till i die okay. and that pretty much sums up being a Sunderland fan um yeah it's not i have to we're, watch we're, it. we're not in it for the glamour put it that way we're, you know it's, it's like a curse but at the same time i you know yeah. I'm I'm still getting over the a recent loss of a very important game and that's the way it goes. But um I you know I love watching I love watching my son's play football. Um, I love um watching other great teams play and I feel very passionate about my team but you know that doesn't they don't necessarily play great football but you know <laughs> I I I can't help but still feel involved in that. But um I love that. And I like the normal things, you know, just hanging and um and hanging out with with friends and and family, you know, and uh, I, and in, and and I include friends and family in in music, you know, that just people that I dig being with. That's yeah,
0: that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, so, as a touring musician, how do you balance a uh, career and family life? Uh, really, life in general.
1: <laughs> uh, well, it's I found it tr- challenging over time you know uh, there has been t- times in my life where it has been challenging um but i think um you know i think really you just kind of got to try and be hey life is a bit of a learning curve isn't it i'm probably I'm, I'm i'm better at it now than i used to be put it that way and i think there's things that you kind of realize that you can live you you can kind of uh own and and accept and and uh, and uh, you know feel were justified and then other things that you kind of realize you shouldn't have done or you feel ashamed of or you know and you kinda of learn from the mistakes and you, you kinda of move on. But um I try to balance it as, as well as I can and and um and I've always tried to kind of enjoy downtime as much as I enjoy work time. And um, so you know if I you know if I've got free time I try to make sure that we take a, a vacation um and enjoy that but it's funny sometimes when you come back from a tour you've really enjoyed being on tour but you can't wait to be home and of course your partner and your family might be dying to get away from home you know
0: (laughs) exactly that has happened so
1: many times
0: yes they're stuck at home and you're out traveling the world and the last thing that i want to do is go anywhere except for my house
1: yeah, and you might think you know they might be saying, "Hey, it's, let's go and have a great night out," and you think, "Well, the only thing that's better than a great night out is a great night in." Right? You know, let's, let's just stay in. It's like they they might have been staying in for for, for weeks and weeks, but yeah, um, yeah. I think everybody probably has their own formula, and I'm not going to try and pretend that mine's any better. But I just try to kind of keep it honest and 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 um and and um, be better than you know than than I was. The day before the week before or what you're just always trying to kind of be a little bit more considerate and and but also i know that i kind of feel better in myself if i'm you know i like to kind of um party and and have fun but i i also feel much better if i'm keeping a a a certain amount of fitness and and eating well and and stuff like that that's not to say that i don't go out and and um you know party and not get any sleep occasionally but i know i'll feel better when i when i've um kind of Respect, over
0: that. respect to you on that one uh this last year i have just been destroying oreo cookies and cheeseburgers <laughs> and so yeah. but now yeah, i am too. on the i am on the path to fit beach bod dad so, <laughs> <laughs> um where can people find you like on social
1: media and and uh do you have any solo work that you're doing uh, or well i releasing? don't have solo work but i i i'm glad uh, I'd like to mention that I have a I have a band with Rob Harris from Jamiroquai that um, that we do with a, another great musician I say a, a great musician called Ivan Van Hetten, who is uh, from the Brooklyn Funk Essentials he's a great uh, keyboard player trumpet player. Um, so we have the three of us and we kind of invite some some friends and guests to play drums or or feature on percussion vocals um that band is called trionic which is t-r-i-o-n-i-q um we'll be we we have a we've done a couple of eps which are up on the usual kind of streaming platforms but we're gonna we have another album um ready to go and we're kind of um going to be releasing that in some exciting ways very shortly actually so that's nice um we were hoping to kind of be out and doing some little kind of soul and jazz festivals with that it's it's kind of like a jazzy soul with a funky kind of edge um so that's cool and then um i have i'm involved in some in some other kind of bands uh there's a band called brother Strut, which is like a funk band and um that i that i enjoy playing with and i do you know other bits and pieces on the side but the trionic thing is something that, that i'm hoping will kind of catch a little bit and that's something with with them um, like i said my bandmate rob harris from jamiro Choir as well so very cool is that um, out yeah well six uh six or seven songs are out we have another kind of ten or so ready to go but we're with kind of we're working on a way to kind of in release them in, in a couple of interesting ways so um I think we'll there'll be some vinyl release there'll be some some um some kind of there'll be some um a lot some some interesting streaming ways of doing it but also and um, we've got some live videos up on, on youtube and what have you as well which we did last february just before lockdown thinking oh yeah well let's put some things out and then we can kind of hopefully get some gigs of course that that hasn't happened yet but um right. but we'll we'll do some kind of um physical release as well as some some uh, other other kind of streaming or or kind of what i should say you know kind of digital releases very cool i gotta check that out it's called trionic trionic
0: everybody check that out
1: i've got a website that's just hope hopefully going to be going live in about two or three weeks which will just be paul turner base my instagram is paul turner base and i'm on twitter and facebook i'm not so great at keeping up with it all i am probably best on instagram in as much as i i try to do something a week once a week but i don't think i for me personally it's not good for me to to be completely overly absorbed in that so i just dip in i try to kind of keep it um you know reasonably yeah kind of fresh but um i don't get overly consumed with it and that's you know i i enjoy looking at other people's stuff who do but i just know that i'm not kind of cool with getting that that engaged with it i just kind of i feel better in myself i just enjoy playing and doing my thing so every now and then i'll kind of keep um, keep those that are interested updated cheers to that man i appreciate you so much
0: for hanging and uh everything that you're doing and everything that you do uh wonderful dude wonderful player um It's it's been a pleasure cheers to you. Thank you, everyone. That is our show for today. Uh, Stay healthy and kind, spread love and good vibes and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path and just play. I'm Josh Paul. Hope to see you out there sometime soon. And also thank you to Dunlop for making this show possible. And uh, go get the Space Freaks podcast wherever you get your podcasts.